Welcome to Aircrew Review. I'm Mike Young, your host, and this is a clip from our interview with Mike Dorzeshauer as he talks us through the evening of March 24th, 1999, where he engaged and shot down a Serbian MiG-29 Fulcrum during Operation Allied Force in the Balkans. If you like what we do here over at Aircrew Interview and would like to support us and help us grow, you can head over to our Patreon channel at patreon.com forward slash aircrewinterview where you can donate monthly. We have different tiers ranging from $1 per month right up to $25, with each tier offering different rewards. All the monthly donations greatly help us to continue creating these video and audio interviews, so please take a look and I thank you in advance. Enjoy. And then while you were uh, well, based at Lake and Heath, in 1999 you had a pretty eventful evening, didn't you? Could you share this with us? Yeah, I did. Um... They had that whole, you know, we'll avoid the politics and all the stuff about the, yeah. the, the campaign of Operation Allied Force because there was a lot going on in that part of the world. But, um, you know, no, nobody wants to see war, obviously, because there's bad stuff. But there was bad things happening anyways. Regardless, our leaders put us there, right? I mean, NATO and, exactly. and the U.S., we decided to get involved. So uh, at the end of the day, we just went and did our, you know, did what we were told to do, basically. And, uh, you know, so we were deployed out of Italy, which was a really cool deployment. Minus the war part of it, because you know, I hadn't been to Italy before, and the you know the food was good, and we lived near a beach and a hotel, and I mean, it was just it was a really cool setup, and the folks were really friendly, mm-hmm. uh, so I enjoyed that. Part. So, yeah, March 24, nineteen ninety nine, uh, we we that was the first day of Operation Allied Force um, when the aircraft got involved. I'm sure there were ground things happening that we didn't know about, but um, aircraft got involved, and um, I was fortunate enough being the weapons officer still. They would just hand it off to a brand new weapons officer, but he just got there and didn't know the squadron. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course, I'm planning everything kind of from that perspective, and we had uh, two, four F-15s up north. Going into Serbia, we had four down south, and we had two big strike packages. So we had two pushes, if you will, that very first night. You know, in, in from the north and south side, times two. So, but they were separated by obviously a number of hours. And um, there was a lot of kind of surreal things because I'd been in Iraq a lot, and every once in a while they toss a surface there missile or something, but not a big deal, right? And uh, this was a little different because this was like a real country that was intact. Its infrastructure was there. The Serbs are not known. I mean, they know how to fight. I mean, mm-hmm. they're good fighters. Um, their equipment was just, you know, not as up to par as ours was yeah. or the mass numbers that we had right control. So I don't take anything away from the Serbs because I said they're, you know, they're tough. If they had the same equipment, you know, or, or more things to their advantage, it would have been a heck of a lot harder fight for sure. Um, you know, plus, you know, I give them kudos. They're defending their country, right? I mean, but we'd all do the same thing if we had because we're attacking their country, exactly. right or wrong or whatever. Get said, but they're, you know, got it. They're defending their country. That's, that's what they're supposed to do. I would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, we had specifically for where I was, I was down south or up north. I had a four F-15s, four F-16 CJs was shooting the harm missiles back at the surface air missiles, playing that little game. And we had two B-2s that were coming in all the way from the United States, and they were flying from the north, south side of the country all the way across it to the north. And we were kind of, you know, the, the southern force ship with its strike package of aluminum jets was going to kind of hand off the B-2s halfway across the country to us and mm-hmm. then protect them there. And then we had 10 F-117s. They were still flying. So that was our strike package up north. We were the stealth package. Wow, uh, Except for the... That's a lot. Eight F- yeah, it was. Uh, the, other than the 8 F-15s and F-16s total, because we were the chum, right? They can see us and shoot us, but they can't see the other guys. That's part of the theory. So we pushed in from uh, uh, Hungary and went south towards Belgrade, and that's where most of our targets were at. And uh, uh, we were out in front of everybody because that's the F-15's job, and... 
we kind of got to the very first cap, which is just north of Belgrade, and we had four of us. We were split apart because it's all nighttime, so it's dark. And we're in a trail formation, so, you know, three- to five-mile trail is kind of what we did back in the day. Mm-hmm. Don't do that anymore, but we used to. And because we didn't have data link, we didn't have images, we didn't have any of the fancy tools that you have now for all this stuff to make it uh, much easier to employ that way. And so um, we got to the very south edge of our cap, our combat air patrol, and we kind of did our first spin. And as I turned around on that, you know, the F-16s are getting close, F-117s right behind them. You don't know that other than you know they're getting close, timing-wise. And I saw the first uh, little blip on the radar, um, and it was out of Batajanica, which was their MiG-29 base um, out of Belgrade. And so I locked it up. It was 150 knots, you know, 1,500 feet, you know, just taking off. I'm sure, I, mean, I know, it was their pilots, you know, their MiG-29s alert scrambling as soon as they knew we were coming in to come. So those guys were hopping in their jets and firing up to take off. And uh, he turned around about 35 miles, and I kind of track him down the scope for a bit, and I lock him, you know, at the appropriate range, say 25-ish miles or so, and start working the electronic ID because there's a number of things we had to, to fulfill to say that he was a hostile, somebody that we could shoot at. And I did all that, and we got a lot closer. We were probably about 14, 15 miles apart. Finally got the ID, called it out on the radio, and took the first shot, which was an AIM-120, mm-hmm. um, and then followed it up very shortly after because it was active. We were so close, it was active off the rail. Mm-hmm. Um, we switched over to AIM-7 because we had uh, two AIM-7s, four AIM-120s, and AIM-7's got a big warhead. You hope it really does, you know, takes care of the problem if, it, if it's still, the aircraft's still working. And plus, I'd always want to shoot one. So um, it was one of those kind of things as well. I'm like, hey, I can shoot as many as I want here because this is combat. And we also had a philosophy, typically always shoot two, because missiles miss. They're not hittles or missiles, right? They miss a lot. And our peak is like 60% or something, you know, whatever. X number of missiles aren't going to hit. Something's not going to work. The enemy's going to maneuver. It's going to get jammed or chat, you know, whatever. So you always try to shoot a couple Mm -hmm. to up the probability of a kill. I did that. And off they went. And staring at Belgrade in the background, pretty cool because it's a VFR night, so crystal clear. Lights of the city in the background. And I'm just watching the missiles go, and uh, they get to about five, six miles, and the aircraft's breaking into the beam on me. And uh, I watch the first missile time out. About the time the second one times out, I don't see a fireball. I'm like, uh-oh, switch over back to an AMRAM, shoot a third one. Um, and now I'm diving down towards him, and he's kind of you know in a corner to me turning. When that last missile comes off at about five-ish miles, uh, he breaks out of the beam, starts to kind of come merge head-to-head. And we're about a mile and a half, two miles apart. The missile, which I'm just watching the motor because I can see it burn. So I don't know. I can't see him with the eyeballs. I'm just watching the, the missile. I'm looking outside, and the missile motor from that little orange goes to big fireball. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, God. All right. So I call splash on the radio and kind of watch it spiral, you know, down towards the ground. Um, you never know what happens to the pilot. You find out after, you know, all the things are over. They had to pick him up, and he survived. Okay. Uh, I believe only. And pilot of the ones that were shot down died, and they told us based on you know what they had for intelligence assets gathering information that the only one that actually died was I believe one of them died during the ejection um, in that two v two daytime a couple days later that we had, uh, and one and or one of them might have died because they believe one of their own aircraft was shot down by a surface air missile. Right. Yeah. So. I even have the interview from the guy the, uh, that uh, I shot down uh, from the, the Yugoslav press. It's kind of funny because oh. all the timing matched. So, um, but I watched that one and came off of that and went back to the back edge of my cap, you know, and, and uh, came back around and watched the next guy take off. I'm like, oh boy, here we go again. Now the strike factor is around us. 
this looked exactly like the first one. I did the it, everything was the same except this guy went in, into that kind of that sideways maneuver that beam very early, and um, and I was up at high altitude because the strike package is below me and we're not really supposed to dive down there. So I'm like, Ooh, okay, so I kind of stay up high and I don't get down low and I can't fulfill all the ID requirements at the time. And this was something I found out after the sortie was over. I was screaming on the radio to folks, um, you know, about ID, lack of friendly, some of the electronic stuff. And F-16s and F-15s were looking at this guy as well. My other two eagles were. And nobody could get an electronic ID. They were The F-16s couldn't do lack of friendly, you know, looking for the, the IFF codes on them. Mm-hmm. We could. And I was trying to – I was listening to the F-16s because I knew two of the guys on the radio. And they were asking for that call. And I made that call like five times on my radio. You listen to my tape, the radio is like making this squelching sound. It was jamming itself. And so about 75% of my calm that I put out that night, nobody heard, which I had wow. no idea, right? They just being quiet, I guess, or everything is yeah. all calm and good. And so all of the eagles and vipers, uh, I ended up right over the top of the guy, like at 35,000 feet, and he's at 10 um, with my two ship. And everybody else had to turn around and run away because nobody could ID him to get in there. And he can't get in there at night and turn with somebody. So. This one little MiG-29 is like everybody's running away from him, all eight of us, right, trying to get separation. One of the F-16s got a spike, may or may not have been from the MiG-29, turned around, ran up for a while. Anyway, so I kind of get over the top of him, and I kind of do a spin. AWACS tells me there's another MiG-29 to the south. I'm like, son of a gun, you know, where are they coming from? So I turn around, and this whole package with that MiG-29 keep going north, and we drive right over the northern edge of Belgrade, nothing on the radar at all. We can't see a thing. Um, come to find out later, AWACS is pretty infamous for calling ground traffic because they have filters. And if they have the filter set low, uh, you know, BMW doing a hunter on the highway can pop up as an aircraft and they can right, call it out. Yeah. You know, I'm not, it happens and you know, they're getting excited in the moment with things happening. So, um, they were calling it out as traffic and they, they of course said big 29. I'm like, ah, so turn around, nothing there. We're over Belgrade getting, you know, kind of in the Sam range. I'm like, that's it. We're going North. The F-16s and F-15s had turned around at that time and said, hey, Dozer, and they didn't really use that, but my call sign, they said, uh, my actual call sign at the time, they said, hey, there's a uh, the hostile, you know, blah, 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 bullseye. I'm like, turn around, I'm like, oh, he's right off the nose, 20 miles away. As soon as I turn around, one sweep of the radar, there he is. I lock him, immediately get all the ID stuff within seconds that I need to declare that he's a bad guy, um, except that now I don't know where everybody else is. So mm-hmm. I'm still up high, like 7,000 feet. This dude's at 10. And I drive. I start diving for the deck now, and I and I know there's stuff, but at some point I got to get down here to you know get in the appropriate place to shoot. And while this is happening, I'm screaming on the radio, asking everybody for their posit where they're at. Nobody hears a thing because my radio's not working. Yeah. I have no idea. And I'm, I'm I'm hostile. I'm saying here he is, and I'm asking him nothing. And this is happening fast because we're beak to beak. It started like 18 miles, so it doesn't take long. And I get to five miles, and I'm at like 20,000 feet diving, and I'm like, screw it, I can't wait anymore. I don't know where everybody is, and I figure at five miles I'm close enough, you know, that there's probably not anybody between us. So I go and I shoot another AIM-120, made a mistake, only shot one. Second mistake, I didn't offset. I just drove right at him. If I had given myself some room, I could have pulled in behind him mm-hmm. and continued to shoot if he didn't blow up. So I just take the one because I'm screaming on the radio, and really I'm behind. I'm not paying attention. And that dude, um, uh, or I'm watching the not dude, that guy, I'm watching the missile. And uh, I see a little kind of pop, like a little explosion. I go, ooh, no fireball, though. I mean, I don't know. Did, I, did it go by the aircraft and detonate? Did it hit the ground? I have no idea because mm-hmm. time dilation. So I see that, and I look, no fireball. And I come back in to shoot again because he's almost underneath me now. And the radar is flashing. like, he's about to gimbal off the bottom because I didn't do that little intercept and pull. I'm like, son of a So I do a, a full split ass at night right, and end up right over the top of the guy, somewhere wow. that bought me very close, a couple thousand feet away. 
And he, of course, he drops off the radar right in the middle of it. I'm like, son of a gun. So now I got a, probably a, a live MIG below me right there. Nobody, I have no idea. And this is all happening with me now. I have no time to talk to anybody and tell them what's going on. This is happening. I throw out this auto guns radar mode, trying to find the guy. I, I give it a little bit. I'm like, no MVGs. I'm like, can't see anything. I'm like, this is not a good place to be. So I just basically start doing a 360 spin to come back around and try to catch him. Well, in the meantime, I look up on the spin and I see this guy up in the contrails, and that's my wingman who had stayed up there the whole time, and he was locked to him, find out after the sortie's over. He's locked to him, everything's good, but he gets no ID. I'm the only guy that gets an ID. And he doesn't hear me say hostile, he doesn't hear me say Fox 3, he doesn't hear any of the stuff that I'm doing, nobody does. And so I look down after I'm chasing this guy doing the spin to get back around the corner, and I see him still headed in the direction of the MIG, because he's locked to him the whole time. Wow. He has no idea what's going on. And I said, hey, two, uh, confirm heading. He's like, south. I'm like, come north. He's like, okay. Doesn't tell me he's locked to the guy. He's, he's a brand new wingman. Wow. Mano had like 150 hours in the jet. Our other wingman behind the water commander, who was my number three, so our number four guy, had like 90 hours in the jet. Brand new guys. Hanging uh, on the first night of combat at night. And so Mano just does what his weapons officer tells him. Okay, so he breaks lock, doesn't say a word, and he just spins and follows Brown behind me. Um, and so I do the spin. He gets back behind me, the whole thing, and we figure all this out after it's over, right? And so I basically, as soon as I swing the corner, I get a lock, you know, I don't know, seven, eight, nine miles away. It's the same. It's the MIG. I know it is. Same guy, same altitude, same heading, everything, although he's starting to slow down to send a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I ask him, I'm like, okay, help me out here, boys, because it's the uh, – it's the NATO AWACS. I'm like, declare bullseye, blah, blah, blah. And they go, uh, uh, friendly. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm like, did I just shoot friendly? You know, your stomach kind of get a sinking feeling. Yeah. And I figured out what happened. And we know what happens when, when plots merge on the AWACS scope, they'll often, they'll get the same idea and they'll transfer and go out of it. Cause they don't know who's who now, depending on how things are picked up. So when they merge, as the plots separate, they just see that I'm a friendly and my wing was a friendly and merged with that. Maybe they didn't know what it was because they, they didn't have it all together. So they just got a friendly track marching off. Right. So I'm like, son of a gun. So I break lock and go, maybe there's an F 16 or somebody around. That's what I was trying to get that earlier. Yeah. Calm to ask where people were at. And, uh, so I'm, I break the lock, I do a full radar scope, I'm climbing back up to get back in the, and the ability to shoot him again, get close enough. And uh, so and nobody's home, nothing on the scope at all except one radar blip, no friendly, no nothing. So I lock him up again. He's a little bit lower, a little bit slower, heading back towards Badgenica. And I go, declare, bulls, blah, 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 blah. And AWACS goes, friendly. I go, holy crap. I'm like, well, I know it's a bad guy. But now I'm kind of honor bound. There's nothing I can do. I can't yeah. shoot at something that just said it's friendly because it maybe what if it is, right? Yeah. Even though in my heart of hearts I know it's not, but I, I can't break that rule. Um, and we had no other means at the time to electronically ad- identify them ourselves. So I'm kind of stuck now. And I follow them for a little while. And we get close to the, you know, the edge, back over the edge of Belgrade, the surface air missiles, you know, the rings and stuff. I'm like, ah, screw this. This is stupid. We're out of here. So I break lock, turn back, go back to the cap and uh, hang out for, you know, uh, however much longer it was, another 10, 15 minutes to where, you know, the, the strike package is over and everybody's kind of pulling their way out, heading back north and leaving. So it was a pretty chaotic night. Um, I was the only guy up north that got to do shooting, and I ended up shooting four missiles off the jet by myself. And I was kind of in the middle of the whole thing, and there's yeah. F-16s, F-15s, and it's like – I'm the guy right smack in the middle. So that t- that luck and that timing thing, right? I mean, anybody else could have been, would have, yeah. should have, depending. It's the guy in the middle of the fight the whole time shooting back and forth. So uh, just had that back for being in the right place at the right time on that one. And um, could have done some things a lot better. Definitely missed a chance to do it right and shoot down that second aircraft. 
Uh, I am glad. It sounds weird, but I'm glad that the guy that I did shoot ejected because uh, I have no desire to kill anybody. Um, it's just one of those things. It's just another. They're putting two men, you know, two pilots, making them face each other in combat, and you know, you want to die, so you do your job. Uh, down south. To, to top it off, because it was kind of cool in a way, um, not the war part of it, like I said, but it's cool for the F-15 squadrons, the air-to-air guys. We had a, um, we got, let's see, one, two, three, four of the six kills um, were by F- our, our little F-15 squadron, which for us is awesome, right? Because we're not awesome, dropping yeah. bombs. It's never, never, F-15s, C's don't drop bombs. So it's only air-to-air for us with the airplanes. And uh, Rico Rodriguez, who had gotten two kills in Desert Storm down south, was the very first yeah. night. I know we had talked kind of boring he just basically drove at the first meg on that he was in the southern strike pack at the same time we were up north he just drove right at the guy took a shot cranked off to the side waited the guy hit him blew up and it was over and that was it down south I was like oh wow that was kind of boring right and that was it in a nutshell and then uh, a couple days later we had that 2v2 during the daytime um that they shot down the two big 29s over bosnia and then two f-16s at different times um there's actually a dutch um, guy, if you're familiar, remember um, he shot down uh, with two A120s on yeah, that yeah. second strike package. Right. Yeah. And then it was many, many six or seven weeks into it when there was that one uh, MiG-29 that took off in the middle of a daytime package and an F-16 oh, yes. yeah. uh, shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was in a nutshell. So it wasn't the first night was pretty busy, um, and then it got real quiet after that. And the service got uh, you know real smart and started tossing a lot of surface air missiles at us for the next uh, couple <laughs> months. And then the battle after that. So that I mean that's and it, but that's that's kind of the that's kind of the version of the story, I guess. That's uh, out front. Yeah, I can imagine uh, it was. You didn't get much sleep that night, Dozer. No, I did not. And uh, Mano was pretty funny. He was my wingman, and uh, of course, brand new guy, barely hanging on. And we went back to the hotel, and we went and got some breakfast because then we're on this night schedule. So then we tried to try to sleep. Right, Mano just had this smile on his face. You couldn't get rid of it, you know, because he was just like in this. Here he's this brand new guy, and he's in the middle of this thing, and all the stuff he saw and was listening to, and he's just like, oh, he means completely overwhelmed. Like, he couldn't even talk. I mean, just like he had this look in his face the whole that whole morning to the next night, and then, of course, we just keep going, keep going. But um, he was uh, it was pretty funny, and I had Mana with me when, we, uh, when the F-117 was shot down. That was kind of cool when a couple nights later because it was different um, because we were supposed to fly down south, and we got weathered out, and our northern foreship was going to be up for like seven hours, so we went and replaced them and kicked them out. And we got to be in there while it was happening, and that was really cool in a different way because you know there's a ground that's on your team, yeah. and the other team's trying to get them, and you're listening to the frequency, and you're watching the A-10s and the helicopters come in and listening to the ground fire, and you're sitting right over the top of the whole thing going, can't do anything about it, you know, but you listen to the whole thing. So mm-hmm. a lot of really um, interesting things you got to see that you know you always train for, but very few people get the uh, chance to see them over mm-hmm. their career. So see and do a lot of, uh, a lot of really interesting things.